You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. The person who just waved on my right is uh, Matt Shiles, my co-host. So you're really into it today. Like you, you I'm I've excited. never seen you wave before. I wanted to give a shout out to those watching. Is that what that is? A wave is a shout out? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Well, shout out to those of you who are watching via video. To those of you who are listening audio, here's your shout out. Yay! Hello. No, so, Hello. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we are so excited about diving into this week. I mean, it's kind of been a, a very heavy series so far. It it has, and um, and but this week there wasn't much at all. Actually, no, I'm, I'm kidding. There, 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 there was a lot, but I think, uh, I think that's been intentional. It's been, it's definitely been intentional because this past week, I definitely shared with everyone that the series has been an ecclesiology, which mm. is a big word yeah. that just simply means the a theology of the church. And so, this series has really been for those Northlanders, those who would consider Northland their home. It's been for those who are exploring Northland to see if Northland is for them, because this is the kind kind of church that we truly desire to be. And as you can see, I mean, it is it is full of Scripture from beginning Genesis to Revelation to the very end, and we won't be able to know that we are a church founded upon the Scriptures, that we are a, a Scripture-centered church. Why? Because we are a christ centered church. And so, and if you remember, if you've been here at Northland, you know, over a year, last year we did Northland 2.0, which was an introduction to our mission statement. Mm -hmm. And this year we did our, we're doing our four C's, which is this introduction to really the four things that we do to accomplish the mission that God has us on. And so this has been a very intentional and intentionally intense series that it, it really hasn't been for the faint of heart. And it, it's not necessarily supposed to be for the faint of heart because mm. where God has Northland is he is truly rebuilding Northland. You know, over the last five to seven years, Northland has been in a in, in really a transition. Yeah. Um, and in any church that's been around for 50 years is going to go through some kind of transition. But Northland has had a very rough transition. Yeah. And so what we're doing over last year and this year is laying the foundation for the Lord to build upon. Because I've actually been very intentional mm. about not, not really encouraging people to invite their friends and family and coworkers. And again, it's not to say don't, you know, it's not, I'm not telling you don't invite your friends, yeah. family, and coworkers. But here's what I do know is that we're still in the, the early process of laying the foundation. Mm. And so, and while Northland has certainly grown over the last year by, by quite a bit, you, you know, I, I'm wanting to make sure as the senior pastor that we're laying the solid foundation that is needed to build something sustainable on. And so, but once we get there, oh, believe me, you, you're going to hear me. You need to be inviting. Like, mm. and again, I'm not saying don't invite, but I do believe, because here's the thing that I truly believe is that if we have the foundation and the structure yeah. that have that that has been laid then that that's when things are ready to exponentially grow yeah and and so uh so that's what we're really desiring uh this year is to lay the solid foundation of the four Cs to make sure that northlanders understand it and the northlanders that will come in 2025 and beyond yeah. will understand our mission and our vision and so that they will understand their engagement therein. So so that's why this series is so important. Yeah. And I didn't want to drag it out to like 10 weeks, you know, a 10-week series. I'm like, no, let me just go ahead and, and give them the, the fire hose because sure. th- this kind of, well, not this kind of, but this content will live on forever in Northland's history because these are the four things that we do mm-hmm. to participate in God's mission. Yeah, and what I hear from you is that that this series is um, is a unique time, and it is a, a unique series, and because of that, th- there has been a lot of content, but it is extremely intentional, and although it, it does feel like a fire hose, it is really uh, laying that strong foundation, 
and and that's one of the reasons we we do this tool like extra takes because um, I know for for myself as I go through the the sermon again and as I listen to it again and as I listen you know even uh, re-listen to us doing the extra takes I just continually learn more and more and more so this is another tool to help you do that right so as you have the desire and as you're watching and listening you guys do. You have the desire to to unpack it more, to understand more, to really delve into the deep, the depths of 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 what was packed into fifty to fifty five minutes. Uh, we have tools to help you do that. Yeah, and and the reason why too that it has been intense is that I've not just focused on the New Testament, right? Right. Because what I've yeah. really tried to draw out in this series is that everything that God wants his church to do mm-hmm. in the New Testament is actually rooted in creation, seen in Israel. It is it is fully developed in Jesus in terms of it. It comes into a true reality and vision with Jesus, yeah. and then it's reflected in his church. Like so, I'll, I'll give you a for instance, okay. and I think I, I think the church, I think Northland, you have heard me probably say this at some point if you've been here as long as I, you know I have, is that one of the themes throughout the scriptures is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And I think I even mentioned this week that God has always wanted to bring heaven to earth. He's always wanted to bring his kingdom to planet earth. So it was initiated in the garden where it was undermined by sin. Mm. It is foreshadowed. So God's kingdom was initiated in the garden where it is undermined by Adam and Eve. It is foreshadowed in Israel. Mm-hmm. Like so so it, it doesn't come fully in Israel. It, it's just it's kind of hinted at. It's a foreshadowing yeah. as he sets up Israel in the midst of the nations. Well, it is undermined by their sin. And then the kingdom of God is inaugurated at Jesus's first coming. So, so he is ushering in the kingdom. That's why, you know, when we look at what Jesus did, he is, he, he is bringing God's kingdom to earth. I mean, yeah. because he is the cosmic king. Yeah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So he's no longer a foreshadowing. He is God incarnate bringing about God's kingdom, which is why scholars would say God's kingdom is already, but not fully yet. Why? Because Jesus will need to come back a second time, and that's what we see in Revelation. He's going to come back a second time, and he's going to consummate the kingdom. He's going to fully make everything complete. Mm. Now, in the middle of the already and not yet, you have the church. And so the church is not the kingdom, but is part of the kingdom mm. and reflects the kingdom. Mm. So, so that's that's kind of where we are in the biblical narrative. Is you got you got the garden, you got Israel, Jesus, the better Adam, the better Israel. He comes and now he gives birth to his ecclesia. Because again, the word ecclesia was used throughout. So ecclesia is not this new term right. that comes on the right. scene. Which is why I'm saying Jesus's church. There are a lot of Ecclesias out there, mm-hmm. but there's only one Jesus Ecclesia. You know, so it's the big C church. Now you have all of these local Jesus Ecclesias. And so we are reflecting the kingdom as we wait for the final consummation of Jesus' kingdom when he comes back for his bride. Well, and just naturally, when you when you dig into the Old Testament, I mean, the Bible is the Old Testament is three fourths of the entire Bible, so I just practically it just extends everything, and there's just so much content um, when you're trying to do Genesis to Revelation that that I've really I've really enjoyed, and um, and it's been wonderful to really really dig into it. So this weekend we did uh, we continue this engage series. That's what we're calling it with the four C's, and we were doing care. And this is care for people and resources. And the scripture we were in was Acts 2, 44 through 45, and this was February 3rd and 4th. So we had the main point set two ways. I couldn't, I couldn't agree on it. It was a conflict between Josh and Josh. And, and you were weird. wrestling with yeah. that I was all week, like, and you just couldn't decide. I just like, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to debate and talk myself into one. I'll just put both of them up because I've done that before. You have, yeah. So. And, uh, and we're adults. We can handle it. Uh, uh, main point. So the first is Jesus expects his church to care for God's people along with the resources he provides in a manner that gives witness to his kingdom. And the other way is Jesus expects his church to care for God's people and resources in a way that demonstrably shares the good news with the world. And, and, um, 
kind of the outline, you gave us these four ways to care for God's people and resources. But before you got there, you gave us some introductory comments, and you laid out the ecclesiology that this series really is. But I, I, I felt like you gave us um, uh, a little bit of a, a look back of, of where we are so far and kind of a way for us to really be viewing all of these messages. So let me read these and see if you have any comments. Mm. Um, so there, the first one is these activities must be seen as the way God's people participate in his mission. So his mission being God's mission. Um, second is these activities, the four C's, these activities are not religious in nature, but they're innate, organic, relational, and communal realities of what God's people do. And then finally, we are not called to engage in these activities perfectly. I think that's a really, really important point. It's not about perfection, but it's something that we should embody as a passion to engage in them. Yeah. And I even put like in a little bracket in my notes, like embody a passion and an energy. Um, you know, so so not only should you be passionate about them, but there should be this energy that you you, you expend in, in engaging them very well. Sure. Which yeah. is why like I, I you know, I don't like we're talking about the the staff and and the staff giving. Uh, you know, of their time, their talents, and their treasures, because we do believe it begins with the staff as it as it kind of moves throughout the the congregation. Mm. And here's the thing: I, I don't feel like we have to shame people into into giving or, or doing um, what God asks. Why? Because I do believe, as I said, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Yeah. And so, and then if you cannot do it, then we want to know because what we want to do, we want to come alongside of you and we want to help in, in whatever we, sure. way we can. Because again, there should be this passion. And this energy that is spent mm. in these four C's. Why? Because you're going to see, as you have seen already throughout this series, that these four C's are in the garden in Israel where where both Adam and Israel, they do not do them. Mm. Like that's the whole reason why they get kicked out of the garden, mm. get kicked out of the promised land. Yeah. So what what Jesus is going to do in the new, you know, in the kind of under the new covenant He's going to give us. He's going to give us the law. He's mm-hmm. going to write the law on our hearts, mm-hmm. and he's going to put his spirit within us. So what? Why? So that we're we're constantly staying on task. Now we are still marred by our sin because he's in this process of making all things new. Right. So we are positionally, when it comes to God, we are positionally right with the Lord. Mm. But right now we are undergoing the sanctification process, which is that whole idea of cultivate. Mm -hmm. So we are being cultivated through the process of sanctification more into the image of Jesus. So that's why I'm really stressing that we're not going to do these perfectly because we're still in the process of learning what it means to be human and part of the new human race after the image and likeness of Jesus. But Here's what's always going to happen. If we fall or if we miss the mark, Mm. the Spirit of God who lives inside of us is going to gently correct us. You you know, so that's why it's not not about perfectly doing them, but it is about being passionate and energetic towards Mm. doing them. Mm. So I really did want to to stress that. And and then even the religious, you know, the the non-religious nature of these things, because it isn't about that. And I know that we we have a lot of uh, people maybe from various kinds of religious backgrounds that other churches and maybe even other religions, they, they view yeah. kind of the activities with, within kind of a religious body as more religious-based things. But again, you never see – like you never see that, that throughout Scripture. I mean the, it was always in the context of relationship. Yeah, and, and one of the points you made uh, really to those two was was because of that – we don't put a number, yeah. You know, come worship this many times. Yeah, like be be, be at corporate yeah. worship seventy five percent of the weekends. Like, yeah. no, it's not about Give that. this much. Whatever it is, there there isn't any sort of qualifier at all. No, it's just now there is things. a well, there is a you know obviously, and that's why I went through, we went through the four ways that we care because yeah. there are there are some adjectival descriptions. What was that word? Adjectival. 
Like so, adjective. So oh, so an ad. Yeah. So adjectival is a big word that just simply you know means adjective. Yeah. But there are some adjectives put before a verb, you know, right. or a noun that describes how you ought to care. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so again, it's not about a percentage mm. of times, but it is about an adjective describing how. Yeah. So and and but again, that's part of that passion and that energy is that you're going to want to do it based upon what Jesus has done for you and what he calls you to do. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really helpful to think about um, these four ways we care for people and resources in that light. Um, so let's, di- let's dig into that first one, which is we care for creation and its resources by stewarding them for God's glory and others' good. Um, here you talked about a, a couple things. First of all, it was this idea of creation and its resources are subject to humanity's fallenness and brokenness. So this goes all the way back to Genesis 3, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then humanity will manifest its fallenness and brokenness by how it engages with creation and resources. And this idea you laid out for us, uh, abuse, use, and confuse. Um, what was so interesting about that, um, just trying to kind of process this, so... So God gave us the resources to create and cultivate the earth, but it seems like we are so confused that we create the thing that God provided not to worship us, but to worship it. So it's just this 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 misplacement of worship, right? Definitely a misplacement of worship. Now, what's fascinating about the Genesis narrative is that God creates, man makes. Right. God cre- and, and it's two different Hebrew words. Okay. God creates because he creates out of nothing. Right. We make out of something. Yeah. And that something that we make out of has been created out of nothing by the creator. Which is, is a very big difference. It's a very big difference. So yeah. we make, he creates. Yeah. You know, and so, and that's why he may, you know, he created us so that we would bring him worship. Yeah. But what sin did is it, it malfunctioned our direction of worship. So instead of directing our worship, which is ascribing ultimate worth towards God, we now ascribe ultimate worth towards something that we make as if it has somehow the power that we think a God would have. Right. So so that's where I think it's a very interesting to you know just understand the distinction between God creates, we make – but what we have done, and Paul brings this out in Romans 1, is that what we have made with our hands, we now ascribe ultimate worth as if it's the creator who mm. made out of nothing, mm. who have made something out of nothing. Yeah. So. So, so and to that point, talk a little bit more about this idea of freedom and restriction. Um, you, had, you had brought up the point that um, you know, ultimately the person uh, – I can't quite remember how you said it, but ultimately the person that um, – that gets to make the rules has the ultimate, you know, authority. Yeah, they're they're the god. Yeah, yeah. So that they are authoritative. Yeah. All right. So let's just take let's just you know. So we're looking at the garden. God creates really a, a free garden that he could have that Adam was supposed to rule and reign, exercise dominion. Here's the freedom. The one restriction: don't eat from that tree. Yeah. And that's why I always tell you know, and that's why I always love saying, "Why didn't God put the tree there?" Because some people say, "What? Well, you know, shouldn't God just let the tree out and let man do?" Well, sure. if He would have done that, then man would have thought that the garden was His. But by that one tree, they're reminded that the garden isn't theirs, but His. Right. So, right. so, so there's this restriction that ultimate freedom has a restriction. Hmm. Okay, so so think about it this way. Uh, so if if everybody's free to do what they want to do, that's not freedom, that's anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. So again, if you are free, if you want to live in a free society and you want to define that freedom as everybody gets to do whatever they want to do, I promise you, you don't have freedom at that point. You have anarchy because innate within every desire, innate within every desire, if you say everybody ought to be free to do whatever they want to do, then I promise you there will come a point in time where somebody does something that you don't like them, you don't want them to do, and therefore you would want to create restrictions. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'll give you, you know, let's just talk about this, you know, this in regard to sexuality. Mm. Okay, so we believe that God has created genders, Mm. male and female, Mm. that are distinct, equal in value, but distinct. Okay, and he has created sex and it's very good and he but he has given restrictions on how we are to engage in sex okay so so he's the one who's made the rules we we didn't make the rules he made the rules okay so we now live in a culture where people want to say well, uh, we think that you can be whatever gender you want to be. Mm. Uh, you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. There are no restrictions. That is a restriction. Mm. You do re- because because now the church is being looked at, and we are the ones now bearing the brunt of what we believe. So therefore, even those people out there that would say there are no restrictions, they are actually saying there are restrictions because they're wanting to restrict what we say. Hmm. So that so 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 that's that's how it went. And then 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 hmm. there's really no freedom then hmm. because you're not you're not giving us the freedom. Yeah. In order to operate according to what we believe, mm. so 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 that's where I'm saying whoever makes the restrictions are the ones in charge. Yeah. So that's the reason why I said I I really don't want those people to be in charge yeah. because there really is no more tolerance. You 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 can say that you're tolerant, yeah. but when you begin to make the restrictions yeah. and you begin to because here's what they're doing. So when God made the restrictions, think about this: when God made the restrictions in the garden and they did not adhere to the restrictions, what happened to them? They got kicked out. They got kicked out. See, we're living in a culture now where, you know, people, it's a lie that people are tolerant, you know, in terms of, you know, oh, yeah, we're tolerant of all people. No, that's why you got the cancel culture. That's also why you got the church being the target now because of our traditional, historical, biblical view of these things. But what they're wanting to do is kick us out of their little circle because they have created their own restrictions mm. and we and, and we don't adhere to their restrictions. So therefore, we're going to we're going to be kicked out. See, again, that's yeah. where if you're going to have freedom, you got to have restrictions. Yeah. And so but whoever is making the call of the restrictions are the ones that are the one that are the authority. So I've experienced that this week yeah. with my daughters, believe it or not. Okay. So they're four and five, and I've been surprised at how early this starts in terms of just freedoms and restrictions. And they're really trying to figure this thing out. Just this last week, uh, I, I can't remember which one asked, but one of them asked, Dad, can, can you do anything you want? And it's not the first time they've asked that. And it was it's really in relation to um, as – as the authority in their life and as we share what they can and they can't do, now they're trying to figure out, now th- does does my parents, do they have an authority in their lives? Can they just do anything? And if we, and if I said yes, then, then it might, it might seem inconsequential now, but then what happens down the road? So it's just a, a really interesting thing how early that starts for us. And as believers and as parents, we have the opportunity to really draw that line in the sand, and, and and I was able to just be honest with, no, no, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Not as it, you know, especially not as believers, we can't. We're under authority. And you think about God's freedom, and I, I do think that when when you have the creation of the United States, there is at least some kind of Christian element, uh, you know, yeah. to this. But yeah. but when you look at God's freedom that He gave Adam and Eve in the garden, it was for their good. It was for their flourishing, right. and the restriction that he gave them right. was for their good mm-hmm. and for their flourishing. And so, when you look at so when you look at freedom, and, and so like take America, you, you know, we um, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. I mean, so that so there's this freedom now that you know that was supposed to at least you, you know eliminate some kind of division or hierarchy of who's better and who's not. Uh, but then you know the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, so there's this freedom, but along with that came restrictions. Mm-hmm. Now we've not always lived up to those restrictions, yeah. uh, but so so in some sense, like what I'm what I'm trying to use at least from an American standpoint. Uh, is that there were there were some Christian values because I again I would argue that we're not a Christian nation, uh, but we had we were birthed out of 
Christian values and Christian understanding, which is why I always like to say, uh, so if God created a perfect world, put Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, gave them freedom and one restriction, and they blew it, what do you think a nation full of just people who did not have a heart that beat after God, what do you think it would turn into? (laughs) You you know, so, uh, I mean, like, come on now, let's just be like, just real honest. I mean, you got Adam and Eve, they fail. You got Israel. I mean, like, come on. Like, um, so, uh, and just so that, you know, while I'm on the topic, is that early, you know, early in American history, they talked about how America was the light, you know, kind of the city on the hill. They were in some sense using America and taking what you see in Matthew 5 about Jesus's teaching, a city on a hill, and they were kind of equating America to the new Israel. Please stop that. Like that, that is not, that is not the way to interpret the Bible. America is not the city on the hill. Actually, the church is. The, the church is supposed to be the city on the hill, which is why I'm so passionate about what we've been talking about over this series is that the Spirit of God lives in his, the church. The Spirit of God is not in America. God did not enter into covenant with America. God entered into covenant with his followers who had confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so, Amen. so again, that's where I just want to say is, you know, maybe I'm, I'm taking it a little, yeah, uh, probably can bring me back there, Matthew, but just FYI for anybody out there wanting to listen. So, that's great. Yeah. You have a lot of people wanting to listen. Yeah, well, I mean, I think sometimes we get confused about that. It, it is a it is a common thread that that we continue to bring up, and um, and it it feels a little off topic, but it is constantly um, relevant because of our our culture, um, and it obviously brings to mind politics. Well, you know, it's an election year; we'll be talking about that later, but. Um, well, and it, well, it does have practical application. This whole series has practical application to that because there is this. Obviously, there, there's the term Christian nationalism, you know that that is floated out there, and depending on who you talk yeah. to, will depend on how they define it. Yeah. But at the core, most people think we need to become a Christian nation. Uh, no, we don't. Uh, I, I just really believe that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't need to have Christian values that somehow permeate our culture for for its ultimate common good. But this is where I'm saying, if we can't get our own house in order, yeah. like we don't need to be, we don't need to be tackling a nation. We actually saw that with the Roman Empire. Okay, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, it didn't lead anywhere good because eventually you have the Crusades, and they are just botching this whole idea of what does it mean to be the people of God. You Jesus, when he came the first time. He didn't come with the sword. He came with the cross. Now, the second time he comes, he's going to come with the sword. He could be riding on a white horse. You don't want to see that Jesus. But the first Jesus, again, I'm, I'm saying first and second Jesus, it's the same Jesus. But when he came the first time, he, he, he's coming with the cross. That's what we are. That's why when you read First Peter, right. you, when you read First Peter 2, 3, 4, and 5, Peter's going to talk about this idea of suffering as a Christian because we didn't come with the sword. We come with the cross because we're going to love people where they are as we as we reflect the inbreaking kingdom of God because Jesus Christ came to save sinners and Paul says of which he is a chief so so that's the thing yeah. our our goal is not to to bring about a Christian nation our goal is to just bring about a Christian church um and 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 it does seem like particularly here in America uh, there are a lot of churches having a having a problem becoming Jesus's church. Well, and that's what this week is all about: is getting looking at us, the church, and getting our house in order. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reel you back. I'm gonna reel, I'm, I'm preaching. We're, we're gonna now. move I'm on. Joe's about to read take an offering. So <laughs> so <laughs> so th- this is a good time to look at that next question as we're looking at the four ways we care for God's people and resources. Yeah. Uh, the second point was we care for God's redeemed people by meeting needs that have been brought about by sin. And the principle here was that sin unraveled the functionality and flourishing of creation and our bodies. Now, during this section, you used a quote that I've heard you use before by Albert Walters. You said the scope of redemption is as great as that of as the fall. Uh, first of all, can you remind us where that quote's from and just... Talk a little bit about why that is so important. I, I've heard you talk about it a lot. Why is that so um, near and dear to your heart, and why is that so important for us today? 
Yeah, so you'll find that quote in the book, Creation Regained. Regained. Creation Regained, Albert Walters. So the reason why I think that quote is so important is because the church has tended, at least over the last century or so, to spiritualize sin. In the sense of sin has just separated us from God. All we need to do is preach the gospel so people can be spiritually reconciled to God. Okay, well, that's part of it. I mean, I'm not saying that that isn't a part, but you got to, again, got to go all the way back to the garden. And when you start, when you start unpacking Genesis three, the consequences that God uh, is giving Adam and Eve because of their sin, it is unraveling every area of their life. It is unraveling their relationship. It is unraveling uh, Adam's relationship to creation. So thorns and thistles, you know, the the earth will, will grow as a result of sin. So basically work is not going to be as easy right. as it w- would have been in a perfect garden. Uh, you're going to see that the that in some sense the animal kingdom will somehow be in tension with man because you you do see the idea of the serpent mm-hmm. is going to want to grab at your heel but you will crush the head of the serpent so uh, you, you know so so there's there so there's this idea that sin unraveled the goodness of uh, or the order not the goodness but the order and the harmony of creation mm. And then what we what we see now with Jesus is that the scope of his redemption is going to be as great of that as the fall. So that's why I wanted to bring into this idea that new heavens and new earth are going to be created. Mm-hmm. Now there are some Christians that believe that that Jesus and and they and they say this because of what Peter writes in his epistle that the earth will be destroyed by fire. Mm-hmm. But that, that but I'm of the uh, I'm of the persuasion that the earth will not be destroyed by fire but that it will be purified by mm. fire. Mm. Okay, so because here's the thing, why in Romans 8 why would creation groan for the day of redemption if God's going to destroy creation and do a whole new one? Right. You know, so fire is a purging mechanism. Mm. So think about it this way. So at the flood, God flooded the earth. There's there there's this cleansing. Yeah. Well, the fire is a purifying. So he flooded it, and then one day he's going to purify it. But he didn't destroy the he didn't destroy the earth as we know it and create a whole new earth. Right. What did he do? He he saved earth and saved all, you know, saved you know, basically every kind of animal, which is why you have the ark. And so what you're going to have in the new creation is a purifying where there there is no more residue of evil. Mm. There's no more residue of wickedness and sin. Mm. So uh, so that's why so you got the scope of redemption is as great of that as the fall, but then you look at all of the various spheres that sin impacts and affects humanity. It affects us relationally, it affects us creationally by again what we make culture and then it affects us how we operate and that's why I talked about you know how we take you know creation and we either abuse it mm-hmm. use it or confuse it and so again that's a manifestation of the the effects of sin but now because of Jesus he's going to completely redeem the way we view and use uh, creation um, and then even how we operate which is why we get into how we care how we give of our time our talents and our treasures like he's going to redeem every single thing now here's an, here's one other reason why this is this this statement is so important I've I've always uh, said when I talk about uh, mission mm. is that your definition of a mission will determine your scope of ministry. Yes. Well, so so if you have a very narrow definition of mission, you're going to have a very narrow ministry. Yes. Because your definition of mission will determine your scope of ministry. Mm. Well, when you look at the scope of redemption is as great of that as the fall. Well, then that would mean that God's mission takes upon a larger scope. And so what what I want to make sure, and this is why this series is so important, is that as we outline what it truly means to be the church, we are also broadening our understanding of mission, which will broaden our understanding of ministry. So that's why that statement is really, really important to me. Yeah, I I love it. I I think... um I think there's such such great depth and insight when it comes to 
um, the the broadness of that. I I um, certainly when we talk about uh, reconciliation and redemption, it it includes you know relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. But um, without us realizing it, sometimes, like you said, it can just be the the spiritual aspect of it, and and then if we're not careful, it can be the individual spiritual aspect of it, and that's it. Right. Um, and obviously, the last couple of weeks ago, we we learned about the importance of the communal, the corporate aspect of it as well. So I think that that quote really helps us um, broaden our mind and our view. And um, and yeah, like you said, the the result of that is a um, is a broader um, a broader ministry. Mm. Um, so let's move on to the the next point because we have a we have a listener question. Okay. Um, so the next point is we care for God's redeemed people by seeing them as our new family in Jesus. Um, you shared a an interesting and challenging scripture from Luke fourteen twenty six, and um, and it says you know it talks about um, you know if you want to be my disciple you must you must hate your your mother and brother and, and sister. Mm-hmm. And um, and the question was, you know, Luke 14, 26 says to hate, thought we were supposed to, to love our neighbor, let alone family. So can you talk a little bit about the, the nuance nuance of that? Because I, I do think you, you mentioned that in the service, but um, from my experience, something that that's challenging, and even, even as you talk through the nuance, um, People don't always hear that or can't um, comprehend the nuance. So, I th- I th- well, I think it's more of the comprehension okay. part because it is a it is a shocking statement. Yeah, and do you think Jesus meant it that way? Oh yeah, I think he meant it that way. Yeah, I yeah. mean he clearly. Like, I mean, you think he meant it to be a, a real shock factor, like you know, to stop them to you know. Oh yeah, well, because you know, I mean, he doesn't drop what he's doing and go out to his mother and his brothers, and you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, he he means what he's saying. Yeah, you know. So, I, I it's this shocking where, and sometimes I do get a little speechless because we talk about how, and and rightfully so, because. God wants us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. He wants us to raise our children under the authority of Christ. I mean, so so God values the family. Right. But there's this new idea that comes on the scene Mm. that Jesus is in the process of creating a new humanity, Mm -hmm. a new family. That... There's going to if you if your family is split mm-hmm. in the sense of you have some that follow Jesus and some that don't follow Jesus, that he even says, I I, I didn't come to bring peace, yeah, but I came to bring a, a sword between two brothers where one would follow me and the other one, and there would be this hostility mm-hmm. that is create you know created. And so for that brother who followed Jesus, he's part of this new family. I mean, so um, – and then, then this this coming week when I talk about commission, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Abraham, okay? So – and Abraham in Genesis 12. So, you know, if you're listening to this or watching this, you're going to get a little double dose. So you're welcome. Uh, so yeah. Well, but, but the double dose is, is this. All right, so God comes to Abraham – Who's a polytheistic worshiper, worshiping many gods? He's a pagan. He is not a he. He is he, God's. Here's the thing: God's going to create a people. Yeah. So that's the thing. God's going to take Abraham, mm. who is a Gentile, is like I'm going to make you a special race. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to make you a special ethnic group mm. called the Hebrews. Mm. Eventually, become the Israelites. Okay. I mean, so that that's what's fascinating because God's the only one who can create out of nothing. All right, so he's he's going to create a people for himself with Abraham. But what is he going to tell Abraham to do? I want you to leave your homeland, your family, your, your kindred. Yeah, go into a land. So with Abraham, he starts this notion. That's why I'm saying there's nothing new when Jesus comes on the scene because all Jesus is doing is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. So God is telling Abraham, I'm starting with you. You will be a new people. You will be a new race. You will be a new ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And 
now this new family, but through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all families of the earth. But Abraham has to turn his back on his family, which is why when you read Genesis 11, he got to a point because his dad at least came with him, you know, so we know that his dad at least came. And it says that his dad died, and it basically carries the connotation that Abraham stays because he couldn't leave his dead father. And then what you see in Genesis 12, and the Lord had said to Abram. Mm. So he's just reminded him, here's what I've called you to do. Mm. So again, when Jesus brings up this idea that if you're going to follow me, you got you got to hate your, your family. Now, again, he's not saying hate them because he's also going to say, express how for God so loved the world. So, right. you know, that, so there is going to be this love, but now there's going to be a shift in allegiance. Mm. There's going to be a shift in loyalty to this new family. And you hope and pray that your, your blood family becomes part of the new family. Yeah. And I, and I think you described it at the nine. You, you said you, you will love God's new family in a way that it will look like you hate. Yeah, your family, and and as I looked up the the NIV doesn't necessarily go there, but the NLT does. And let me just read this and see if you you agree. It says, "If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else—your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters." That's kind of alluding to what you were mentioning. Yeah, by com- as by comparison, by comparison, yeah. because you have this Old Testament idea as well with Jacob and Esau. Okay. Okay, so you have Abraham, uh, he and Sarah, they are, they are a couple. So Abraham and Sarah, they have Isaac. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Isaac and Rebekah, they have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what's fascinating about Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Yep. Who comes out first? Esau comes out first. Yeah. And Jacob is is coming right behind him, grabbing at his, his heel, his, his kind of his foot area. Yeah. And what God's going to do, because, you know, God's actually going to throw the order, mm. because in that day and age that you gave the majority of your property and your possessions to the eldest. Well, Esau was born first. But what God's going to do is that He's going to give He's going to give the the the, the firstborn rights to actually Jacob, who came out second, and there's this there's this uh, idea that is communicated that Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now is he is God saying that he just hates Esau? No, he's not saying that. He's saying I'm giving all of the firstborn stuff. To Jacob, so I'm giving to him. I'm doting on him the love that is due the firstborn, which makes it look like that I hate Esau. Right? You know. So, so again, there, there's this, yeah. I, and that's part of where, like, when Paul says what he says about take care of the household, especially the household of God. Yeah. There, there is this, this first love. This first loyalty, this first allegiance to the family of God, and then you turn your attention to the larger community. Right, and, and so, so again, mm. God has been very consistent in that. Yeah, from the very beginning. Yeah, something that I I would love for us to um, to talk about a little bit, um, and this may be a, a bit of a nuanced conversation, but. Um, in Acts two forty five, Scripture states this idea of you know need. It, you know they gave to anybody in need, and and that's not want. So why would it be important for us to wrestle with this idea of the difference between needs and wants? Well, uh, well, I mean, yeah. What defines a need and what defines a want? Uh, a need is something that you need. Because you cannot live and function or flourish without it. Yeah. A want is, in some sense, the things that you might desire that are in excess to what you need. There was a series. I can't remember what series it was, but I actually defined the difference between between want and need. Um, the uh, the generosity. Series. The generosity. Yeah. The generosity. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Because here here's the but, but but listen to this. I mean, so you go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they only needed one source of, 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 of substance in terms of a tree mm. to, to, to live off of, mm. okay? Yeah. 
Now, but God gave them way more than what they needed. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so so again, there's this idea of function, and there's this idea of flourishing. Mm. Okay, mm. so when it comes to their their need, like particularly what we're seeing in Acts, is that they need this to live, right? You you know, and so they just need this to function. And then, but, but this is part of the you know the difference between a handout and a hand up. Yeah, is that they might just need a little bit of help to get stabilized so that they can have glimmers of flourishing. Because let me just be very clear, like, and this is where when 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 sin entered the world, in some sense, total flourishing ceased to exist. Now, total flourishing is coming again. Mm. That's in the consummated kingdom. There will be total flourishing. But this is why I think the church is so, you know, I think this is why it's so important for the church to get it right now. Yeah. Because not only should we function as the people of God, as the body of Christ, I think that there should be glimmers of flourishing. There should be glimmers of flourishing. Um, And so there should be glimmers of flourishing when it comes to racial reconciliation. Why? Because it's in Jesus, he's making a new human race. So we got to get this right. Like the world's, please hear me, the world will never get this right. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. understood, like, like he, even though he fought for it, for, for the, this equality within the nation, you cannot legislate racial reconciliation. Mm. And then when you look at the history of the, the world, that just does not happen by our very nature that has been marred by sin. Mm. However, in the church, we should get that functionality mm. right. Mm. Uh, we should even have glimmers of flourishing. Now, will will it come at a cost? It will. And I think I even talked about a little bit of how, how that would come at a cost is that you quit calling shotgun and get your butt in the back seat. <laughs> so uh, uh, b- b- because yeah. the more you know Jesus, the more you're willing to ride in the back seat. Okay, so we're going to get racial reconciliation right. Uh, This is why in Israel there were to be no poor and needy. I laid out all those scriptures in Exodus 22, Leviticus 13 and 15. Now, these were laws. So so this kind of goes back to cultivate, but I wanted to, to, to in some sense, pull those laws out to show the care component, Mm. is that in Israel there were to be no poor Mm. and needy. Because in God's kingdom, there, there, there are no poor, there are no needy. Mm. Because, and this is part of the reason why the gleaning of the fields is that they had what they needed. Yeah. And if they could, again, if they could just get a little help and a, a, a little hand up, not a hand out, then, then they could follow the rest of God's, God's, when I say framework laws for how they were to live mm. so that they could begin, because as a nation, don't miss this. They were supposed to flourish yeah. in the world. Yeah. That's the reason why when you when you see in the promised land, it was a land what with milk and honey. Flowing. Flowing. What it was saying. Now again, when you look at that little desert spot that they got. <laughs> but what God was going to do, he's going to take this desert spot and he was going and it was a land that had been marked out. That he that he wanted to mark out for his people a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm-hmm. Because what he wanted to show is a people that would live in his land under his rule and reign, he would bring about a flourishing among those people that would attract the nations. Go, what is different about that nation than us? Why are they? I mean, yeah. look, look at this little nation. You can't even you, you can't even penetrate this nation. Look at how bountiful and, and blessed this nation is. The whole reason why God wanted them to be a land flowing with milk and honey was to show the blessing of God, the presence, the power, right. the provision of God on a people that would reflect him in the midst of the world. So that's so the church today, so don't miss it, the church today is God's people that he truly wants to bless. This is why I am so passionate. I mean, like mm. I, I am so passionate and maybe I have I, I don't maybe I have an unhealthy expectation for what the church should be. Hmm. But I truly believe that if we will honor the Lord and connect with him 
and we won't forsake the meeting together. If we would cultivate, if we would say we are the new community of God, or we're 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 an outpost. I mean, because there's all other kinds of local churches who love Jesus, but if we will be one of those little like embassies, the little outpost. Of, of God's community, submitting to his word, mm-hmm. exercising our faith through spiritual disciplines as we are shaped and conformed and we care, I truly believe we will have the blessing of God. We will experience the presence, the power, mm-hmm. the provision of God mm-hmm. poured out like we've never seen. Because here's what I, I, here's what we see even in the book of Revelation. Uh, John, Jesus, John is going to record Jesus' words, and he's going to say, I wish you were either cold or hot. Yeah. But because you are lukewarm. Now, here's what he's saying. Like, you know, because a lot of people get this, you know, a lot of people misinterpret this, like, in terms of cold and hot. Um, but there were, you know, but but cold water has has medicinal value as well as hot water. Yeah. He's like, I wish you were just useful. Right. I, I wish that you were some kind of balm of medicine, medicinal for people, but because you are wishy-washy, mm. because you have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven, because you you tip you tippy-toe around what it means to live out the implications of Jesus Christ, you are lukewarm. You are worthless. And because lukewarm water is used for nothing, it is good for nothing other than to be vomited out. Like, again, that that's what that's what he was really getting at. And so I feel like, and again, I, I, I don't want to talk bad about the, the church, but in general, we have a lukewarm church that tippy-toes around what Jesus actually died and was raised to give birth to. And what we're trying to do in this series is just get back to what it truly means to be the people of God so that we might experience the blessing of God for the sake of the glory of God. Amen. And, and obviously that was a, a really compelling um, explanation of why it's important for us to wrestle with this idea of needs and wants. And as we do that, we, we do enter into the messy middle a bit because we do have to make sure that we have clear definitions. And um, and as we clearly define needs and clearly define wants and, um, and really um, delve into people's personal lives, right, there, there can be a messiness there. But... You help to describe for us uh, the ultimate reason, right? And um, and it's to provide this glimpse of the coming kingdom. Yeah. And um, and, and you you help show us the stakes are higher than we realize. We forget how high these stakes are. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So let's move on to this fourth point. Yeah. And um, anytime I'm sitting in the service and I hear you say, we'll talk about that more, an extra takes my ears perk up. Oh, okay. What did I say? I can't even remember. Uh, so, yeah. That, so, I'll remind you. So, at least at the nine, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I listened to the 11, but I'm not quite sure how deep you went into this. But you said, God's people coming together to build the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea. Oh, okay. You yep. said you wanted to talk more about it on Extra Takes. Yeah, so I did mention it in the 11, but when you give your finances, so when you give a tithe, because yeah. I, I, so in the New Testament, you will not find this teaching on a tithe. That is an Old Testament thing, but here's what, and this is why the adjectival, you know, what I talked about earlier. Yeah. So there that is an. Word you made up? Yeah. The, well, I didn't make it up. You can look it up. It, adjectival. Promise you, that is a word. I've never heard that in my life. Okay. I mean, I, I understand what it is now, but yeah. I've never heard it in my yeah. life. Yeah. So, uh, well, you're welcome. I taught, you know, taught you something today there, Matthew. Adjectival. So, adjectival. There you go. Could you spell it? Yeah, I, I'm, why do you want me to spell it? I'm wasting time spelling it. So <laughs> you're, not, you're not worried about time. Uh, <laughs> He's worried about time when, when I put him on the spot. So A D J E C T I V E L Y. Oh E L. Oh, adjectival. Okay. Oh, that's adjectively, but adjectival end okay. with the L. So yeah, A D J E C T. Let's get you uh, on yeah. the spelling. I V A L. Yeah. Oh, I, I, listen. I was not very good. That's why I love spell check. It's awesome. There you so go. okay. Sorry. We. Digress. Anyways, we we digress. So, so the New Testament teaches about the generosity of our gift. Right. Okay. So so it, so it's not going to go to a percentage. Okay. Yeah. Like a tenth. Yeah. It's going to go to a proportion. 
Okay. So it's going to move from percentage mm-hmm. to proportionate. Okay. Okay. So Paul's going to teach this that you're going to give generously and sacrificially proportionate to your ability. Mm. Okay? Yeah. So so again, that's where it just depends on what what God's given you. But you are going to give generously and sacrificially. And I defined that in our in our backstory generosity series. Mm-hmm. Is that if it doesn't cost you something to give, I don't know if you're giving according to the standard of Jesus. Right. Okay, so so again, that's why I'm not going to put a percentage on it because it's now going to be more of this convictional element that comes from your heart. Because it it may be way more than ten, and and some it may be less than ten. Yeah. Yes. So that's why it's going. And, and so so our portion of our finances. So that's why I, said, I didn't say a percentage. Yeah. I said a proportion. A portion of our finances and possessions to God's people. And that portion is going to be proportionate to our abilities. So like you just said, uh, some people might be proportionate 2%. Some people might be 20%. But here's the desire of God's people. You always want to be able to give more. Because I like what I, because I love what Tim Keller when you know and gosh we're always going to miss Tim Keller, but Tim Keller would always say is that you do not get a raise so that you might raise your living lifestyle or your lifestyle of living, but you get a raise so that you might see what else God can do with it. Talk about countercultural. Yeah, and that is so. That goes back to the distinctiveness of God's people that we truly are countercultural. And so I, I just do want to remind, because I did say this at the 11, I didn't say this at the 9, but I just want to remind people what your giving here goes to. Yeah. Like our budget is looked at in four different areas or four big buckets. One, our budget goes to people or what we would call staff. And those staff, is you're not just paying people to do the ministry, you're actually paying people to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that's why we say people reach people. Mm-hmm. And so people equip people. And so your finances, your portion that you're giving to build up the body, to build up the temple, is going to help pay staff. And again, this is an Old Testament idea too, is that there were there there was this giving to pay what they would call the Levites. Well, Think about it this way. So these were the priests, but now in the New Testament, we are all priests. It's called the priesthood of the believer. Mm -hmm. And so now your money is going to go to help pay pastors, and and if they're not pastors, they actually fulfill the role of a deacon, Mm -hmm. which frees up the pastors to do the the, the work of the ministry of the word and prayer, okay? So so again, you're going to give to people because people reach or people equip people. Uh, the second thing is you're going to give to resources because resources resource the church. So there's a lot of things that we have that help resource uh, the church. I mean, you could think about the website. You could think about social media that helps resource. You could think about benevolence to help resource people in need. You can think about all of the uh, kind of curriculum that we need to buy to help uh, resource the children's ministry, student ministry. And so so yeah. resources resource the church as we are learning learning what it means to be built up into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Then we, we, we portion of your money goes to facilities yep. because facilities facilitate ministry and mission. Yep. Um, now, you, one of the things that, you know, I, I think I'm just, I, I'm, I'm constantly looking at my time. So, just uh, go for it. I, I know what you Well, because yeah. I wanted to explain, like, you have to realize that, er, you know, the early church didn't have facilities. And, it, you know, obviously we see them at the very beginning meeting at the temple. Yeah. Because in some sense that was supposed to be their facility. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul would go to the synagogues, which I would just call dead churches. Because they had the word, they had the word, they were waiting on the Messiah. Paul just needed to come and preach the good news to them. Right. And many of many of these these Jewish, um, you know, well, many of these Jewish people in these cities that Paul would go to, they had a synagogue. They became, in some sense, the first converts of, of the church. So, so they did have a synagogue. Uh, and but but even for the first three hundred years of Christianity, they're meeting in homes. Uh, but what many scholars would say is that they're meeting in these very wealthy patron homes, yeah. you know, that could gather, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. And that's also why they met in homes throughout the city. 
But things began to change when when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire because they would go in now into these empty temples or these empty civic centers, and they would start having church. And then what you started to see is that when the Catholic Church began to really become established, now you see these big cathedrals that are being built. And so now, in some sense, these church buildings come on the scene. Mm. And so I share, I give a very you know general overview on even the creation of church facilities. Yeah. But one of the things that we want to do here, because there is a large percentage of our budget, and I would say of any church's budget that goes to the payment of facilities and the operation of facilities. And what we want to do is we want to steward our facilities well. And so we want to turn our facilities into some kind of at least an understanding that is community space that the church uses. And so we're going to leverage that space in a benevolent way Mm. to lead lease out our space to help cover the cost of running our facilities so that we might be able to do more ministry and mission. But nevertheless, a portion of what you give goes to the actual facilities that we own and operate, and it helps us to facilitate ministry and mission. And the last thing that your money goes to, uh, that you give to the temple, the body of Christ, is missions, and that's the activities of mission. So that's the reason why we have local partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, when I say domestic partners in the U.S., and we have international partners. And that's the reason why we do even international missions and yep. that we have a whole missions, a commission arm yep. that we do missions. And so a portion, uh, of, you know, or, you know, a portion of your money goes to making sure that we're constantly mobilizing the activity of missions, yep. of, of not only showing the inbreaking of God's kingdom, but actually sharing, that we're investing in missionaries, we're investing in organizations that have a desire to actually verbally share the good news. And so, and, and that's what your money goes to. A hundred percent of your money goes to those things. So here I'm going to recap. So it goes to people, mm-hmm. and about 50, 52 percent of the budget goes to to staff, then about thirty percent because of how big our budget, or big our facilities are, uh, about about twenty seven, twenty eight, so almost thirty percent of our budget goes to uh, facilities. Then you have resources and missions that round out the other twenty percent of our budget. Now, I promise, promise you. Like, we are good stewards. We are faithful stewards to make sure that the money that comes in is going towards the building up of true, of the true, like, again, truly the body of Christ, the temple of God. And, and so I just wanted to really kind of recap that of making sure people understand, like, you know, that's what it's going to. Yeah. And again, it's the building up of the body yeah. so that we might be the people of God here yeah. locally, but also helping to mobilize the gospel globally. Yeah, amen. So I think that's helpful, and it's it's really helpful to have have it seen in those those four buckets, truly. Yep. Um, so those are our four points. Before we wrap up, we have a couple a couple books here. So I'd love yep. for you to talk about the resources yep. that so we have. I'll, I'll start out with this one. It's Missional God, Missional Church uh, by Hastings. Yeah, so Ross, Ross Hastings. And so this is a fascinating book because it's going to explore John twenty twenty one in depth. So okay. as the Father has sent me, so now do I send you, is what Jesus, was, Jesus is going to tell his disciples. And so it does a deep dive into the comprehensive understanding of what does it mean to be sent. And so it's going to basically cover, now again, they don't, you know, Ross doesn't use the C's like like we do here, but you will see the C's come to life as he does a deep dive here. Missional God, missional church. Yeah, missional God, missional church, because by God's very nature, he's missional. Uh, because he is on mission to create, and then because of sin, redeem a people from all peoples. 
And then the second book is A Light to the Nations, a Michael Goheen. So I'll just warn you, if you read this book, you're going to you're going to in some sense think I copied him. Uh, but but that, but but I didn't. I, I mean, I, obviously, I've used him. I've learned a lot about Michael yeah. uh, Goheen's theology. Yeah. Uh, but he is going to capture. Uh, so in Isaiah, Isaiah pins that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations mm. because of their distinctiveness. And so he's going to capture the Old Testament vision of the distinctiveness of God's people mm-hmm. because they were to be this attraction to the nation. So when I put up the little magnets, I mean, right. so as God's people would be distinct in how they would connect, cultivate, and care, the nations were to see that and be attracted to their God, right. the, the, their one God. Right. You know, because all the other nations, they served and worshiped a, a, a plethora of gods, but not Israel. And so, and then he talks about how the church is to capture that vision once again as a light to the nations. And now we have been, we've been sent out to the nations to be that distinct people of God. And so it is a really, really, uh, good, book that explains that. And, and what you see, and here's another book, and I didn't bring it with me. Um, I couldn't find it. I, I think I have it somewhere in my library, <laughs> but it's called The Destroyer of the Gods. Mm. Destroyer of the Gods, and the subtitle is Early Christian Distinctiveness in the Roman World. And so um, Larry Hurtado, okay. uh, Larry, and Hurtado is spelled H-U-R-T-A-D-O, Larry Hurtado, destroyer of the gods. Hmm. Because what made Christianity, what made the church so attractive to the degree that 300 years later, Constantine would want to make it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so he's going to talk about what those distinctions were, the fact that they were multi-ethnic, the fact that they elevated women mm. because women were marginalized, right. uh, women truly were abused holistically in a sense, mm. and so but the but but the women were valued in the church. They were truly elevated mm. uh, with dignity and value and honor. Uh, also, the orphan was taken care of by the church. You have to understand that abortion uh, at least was known in the Roman world, but but it was actually very dangerous for the woman to get an abortion, and so they did. You know, uh, what do they call it? Infanticide. Yeah. You know, infanticide. Infanticide. That's the word. Infanticide. So what they would do is the woman would have the baby, and then they would go take the baby out and put put the baby in the garbage heap. But the Christians, what they would do is they would watch out for wherever they would put these these newborn babies they would take the babies and they would adopt them and raise them and so they you know and then 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 another distinction was how they cared for the poor not only their own but even the poor in the city so when plagues would hit the city Everybody would scatter from the cities uh, that would that would be um, you know kind of infested with plagues but the church would stay and would care for them. And so you had all of this distinct, these distinctiveness. Hmm. Is that right? Distinctions. Distinctions, yeah. that's it. You would have all of these distinctions that the church would have in these cities that, that literally destroyed the, these mythical gods that had no bearing in everyday life. Wow. And so, so I would highly encourage. And so, so again, what we're really going back to, and and there was there would be so many statements because I, you know, like you have Rodney Stark, the triumph of Christianity, he talks about. Yeah. So, and all of these things, they're going back to when the church was the church, meaning that they understood their mission mm-hmm. as the people of God. And they understood their distinctiveness of how they would connect with one another in God, how they would be cultivated more into the image of Jesus, and they would reflect his life that we see take place in the Gospels in the world, and how they would care for one another, and then how they would be commissioned to the nations, to the cities, to the world. As the distinct people of God to share and to show mm-hmm. the redemptive love of God. And so I'm gonna, Amen. you know, I'm gonna talk about that holistically this coming week and I cannot wait to do so. So, but those are the resources that I would, I would encourage you if you wanna do a deeper dive on, be my guest because you'll find some really good reads and resources there. Wonderful. This has been a, a great week. I think we'll leave it 
leave it there. Awesome. Well, Northland family and friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Extra Takes. We love you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.